You know, we've prayed over the months for people who have been sick, and oftentimes in those circumstances, their family is very depressed, a very dark place. Sometimes there's no light at the end of the tunnel. They're experiencing a dark night of the soul. They don't know exactly what to do. They cry out to God, there's no answer. And uh, this psalm is one, I believe, that speaks to that issue. Uh, it's normally designated as a lamentation. And the lamentation is uh, a prayer that describes uh, anguish. It describes a person who is in the depths of despair and uh, who's experiencing the dark night of the soul. And so what they're doing is they're passionately crying out to God uh, in their grief and in their sorrow, hunting for answers, and oftentimes the answers don't come. And we see in, in the superscription that this is a psalm of Asaph who we've talked about in the past. So we won't go into that again, but there's also another name there, and that is the name Jeduthun. And uh, he was one, we know this from First Chronicles chapter 25, he was one of three choir masters appointed by King David. And he had sons who played the harp and prophesied. That's what First Chronicles chapter 25 says. And so evidently this is a lamentation, it's a song, a song of sadness. Remember the movie Lily a number of years ago? Anybody ever see that with Leslie Caron? Caron? The song of love is a sad song. I lily, I lily, I love The song of love is a song of woe. That's a lamentation. Here was a girl who was in love, and guess what? She wasn't getting any love back. <laughs> and it was a sad song. And uh, here we have uh, Asaph lamenting, crying from his soul unto God. And here's how we are going to divide Psalm 77. We're going to divide it into two sections, although there's a lot of separate little sections in there. But verses 1 through 9, we're going to call this Asaph's anguish. Asaph's anguish. And then verses 10 through 20, Asaph's answer. Okay? So, let's look at these anguish. Here's what he says. Notice how he speaks uh, personally. He says, I cried out. This is probably not simply a prayer on behalf of the nation. Uh, he's probably going through some personal experience of woe. And he said, I cried out to God with my voice. And that's line number one. The second line says, to God with my voice. And uh, this is a form of poetry that emphasizes uh, repeats in order to emphasize something, and it expresses uh, Asaph's uh, anguish. Okay? We notice the nature of the lament, because it goes on to say, uh, so that's, that's why he, the prayer is an angu a prayer of anguish. He's crying out to the Lord. And uh, now we look at the description. In fact, in verse 1 it says, uh, and he gave ear to me. Okay? He gave ear to me. So when you look at this, notice his desperation. I cried out to the Lord with my voice, to God with my voice. Uh, this is not a quiet prayer. 
this is not a, uh, a proper prayer. This is not the kind of prayer that you would see in a high liturgical church where it's read out of a prayer book. This is a prayer of anguish. When you add voice, when you add volume to your prayer, you're trying to get God's attention because the quiet prayers didn't work the first time. And he's going to cry out to God. And so this speaks of the depth of his sorrow that he cries out. And then the answer arrives in verse 1 that says, And he gave ear to me, or literally, and he heard me. He heard my prayer. He, he gave attention to my prayer. Now, this is important because when we get to the end of the psalm, it doesn't seem like there's any answer. The psalm ends very strangely, with no solution. But you need to assume that there is a solution, because in verse 1, what does it say? After he cried, God did what? He heard him, so we know there is an answer. When God hears, he responds. And so you need to remember that when we get through the psalm, that indeed the psalm, the prayer has been answered. And then he gives us some details. Look what it says in verse 2. In the day of my trouble. Uh, we don't know what kind of trouble it is. He doesn't identify the trouble. But notice how he personalizes it. It's his problem. It's his trouble. You see that? In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. So this characterizes his situation. My hand was stretched out, meaning out to God, seeking help from God. In the night, for how long? Without ceasing. He prays all night long. And... Uh, He's crying out, trying to get an answer from God. So we see a persistence there. Okay? And then he goes on to say, this is very interesting. Even after crying out all night long, my soul refused to be comforted. Nothing helped. When, he, when the morning light came, there was no solution at this point. He could not be consoled. And he goes on to say in verse 3, I remembered God and I was troubled. I complained. Look at that. When he's in trouble, he remembers God. He knows who to go to. But when the morning light comes, there's no solution. And guess what he does? Hey, why aren't you answering my prayers? You know, he's crying out to God. He complained. And my spirit was what? Overwhelmed. It's like a drowning man. He's helpless. There's nothing he can do. And God's not answering him at this point in verse 3. So uh, this is a prayer of anguish. It's a lament. It is, uh, he expresses his grief and his sorrow in this prayer. Notice the my's in there. Look at this in verse 1. I cried to God with my voice. To God with my voice. In the day of verse 2. My trouble. Verse 2, my hand was stretched out. My soul refused to be comforted. This is a very personal prayer. Now, some of the commentaries say he's praying for a national crisis, but I don't see it in the text, at least at this point. It seems like he's praying over some crisis that he's experiencing in his life. Now look at the symptoms. Okay, you ready for that? Look at verse 4. Now he speaks directly to God. Look at this. You... Hold my eyelids open. Uh, he can't sleep. 
God's not allowing him to sleep. He's causing God for his sleepless nights. You see that? You hold my eyelids open. He tosses. He turns at night. He tosses some more. Some of you did that last night. You tossed. You turned. You tossed some more. Something was on your mind. You prayed to God. You woke up this morning and things weren't any better. You came to Sunday school class. You were hoping you'd get an answer right here in the Sunday school class. So here, this is uh, the symptoms that he's experiencing. Look what else it says in verse 4. Here you see the intensity of his problems. And I am so troubled. Look at that. I am so troubled. I am overwhelmed with trouble. I'm overwhelmed with grief. And look at this next statement. So troubled that I cannot speak. So, he's sleepless, and he's speechless. Now, wait a second. Up in verse 1, what did it say he did? He cried out. He cried out in verse 1, but now what is he? He's speechless, you see. So, in verse 1, he cried out, but by verse 4, guess what? He's cried out. He's done all the crying that he can do. He's to the point where he can't even say anymore. He can't even raise his voice to God. It sounds a lot like Romans 8, doesn't it? It says, when we don't even know how to pray as we should, the Holy Spirit prays with words that can't even be uttered. Just with groanings. He's at the groaning stage at this point. And uh, he's just totally overwhelmed. And he just gives up. And I think he gives up and he just goes, I'm so weak I can't even say another word to God. And that's his condition. These are his symptoms. Now he begins to reflect on something in verse 5. It's very interesting. He said, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. Suddenly his mind starts wandering back. And he starts thinking about how God answered prayers in the past. See, that's what he says there. Doesn't it? I've considered the days of old, and if you want to know what it means by the days of old, I'm talking about the years in ancient times. I, he starts thinking about when Israel was in trouble and they prayed out to God and God answered, and he thinks back there because he's trying to find some consolation from the past, how God answered prayers in the past. And he came to Israel's rescue, and he came to King David's rescue, and whatever. So here we see him trying to find some sort of consolation by looking to the past, how God answered in the past. And then he says this in verse 6. I call to remembrance my song in the night. He thinks back in his own situation. He says, I've, you know, I've had other dark nights of the soul, and I remember what I did when I was going through those bad times at night and I couldn't sleep. I just began to sing. And when I began to sing, it seemed like my spirits were buoyed and my spirits were lifted. Sort of reminds you of Paul and Silas. They're in jail, you know. What could get worse? And they just begin to sing. Remember David, when he was troubled, what did he want somebody to do? Play music. Music is a comfort when you're troubled. And so he remembers back in his dark days and how he would sing in verse 6. He says, I meditate within my heart. And my spirit makes a diligent search. So he says, I remember doing that. Then why can't, why don't I have a 
song in my heart now? Why, why in the past God would come to my rescue? Why isn't he coming to my rescue now? He's searching in his heart, trying to figure out what his problem is and why God is not answering. And when he goes through this diligent search, this introspection, why am I in trouble? What's causing this? Why is God not answering? Suddenly, all these doubts enter his mind. Boy, don't ask questions. God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Because you know what's going to happen? Your mind is going to be flooded with doubts and questions. And this is exactly what happens to him. You see this in verse 7. He says, will the Lord cast off forever? How long do I have to pray? What's he going to do? Just cast me off forever? Will he be favorable no more? That's question number one. Question number two. Second set of questions. Has his mercy ceased forever? That word mercy is a covenant word. You know, God said that he would be compassionate and merciful to his people because he entered a covenant with them. He'd be their God and they'd be his people and he would take care of them. He says, what are you doing? You're not keeping this covenant. Has your mercy ceased forever? Are you finished with us as your people? Has his promise failed? Remember he made promises to the forefathers? Have those promises failed? Look at this. Forevermore? Will you never answer another prayer? The third set of questions, verse 9. Has God forgotten the gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Maybe God's angry at him. Maybe that's why God's not answering my prayers. Have I done something wrong? To irk God? Sounds like Job and his friends. You know why God's not answering your prayers? You know why all this trouble's happened? You know why you lost your family? You know why you lost your fortune? You... God's angry at you. you got sin in your life. He's asking these questions. He's got all these doubts. So he has this whole series of questions. Maybe God's angry at him. And these three sets of questions are aimed to get at the heart of his problem. And why God's not answering. So now, that's verses 1 through 9, and that's what we're going to call his anguish. You can sense his anguish there. Now we come to the answer. Verse 10. And here we have a sort of a transition. It's a turning point. First of all, he says in verse 10, And I said, this is my anguish. That's my anguish. Is God angry with me? Is he cast me off forever? You know, what's causing all this? Uh, he's remembered the past. He's depressed. In the past, God answered prayers. Now he's not answering prayers. What's going on? Will he ever answer prayers? That's his anguish. But then look what it says. But! And this is a very hard verse to translate. But here's what it says in the New King James. But! I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. And this now becomes the transition in the passage. And he's going to go now from a state of discouragement to a state of encouragement. He says, I will remember the right hand of the Most High. Now the right hand is a metaphor for God's power. I will remember how in the past God powerfully intervened in the nation's troubles and in my troubles, and he acted on our behalf. I will remember God's right hand. Now wait a second. 
Verses 1 through 9 says he remembered. Doesn't it? And that led him to despair. Why would he say, I'm going to go back and remember again? See, in verses 1 through 9, especially like verse 5, he says, I remembered, I considered the days of old, right? And when he considered that, what happened? He ended up being anguished. <laughs> it didn't comfort him. It caused him to be in a state of confusion. Now what does he say in verse 10? He says, I will remember the years, in other words, the years of old, of God's right hand, the most high. He's going to be looking back at those same things. Why does he think something's going to be different this time when he reviews the past? Because now he's going to be reviewing the past from a different perspective. It's very important that you get this. In the first nine verses, he looked at the past, saw how God had done things on behalf of Israel in the past, how he answered, and his, he would ask this question. Well, why not me? If he did it then, why not me? Now he's going to look at the events in the past, and he'll see how God intervened and delivered people, and now he's going to say, well, why not me? If he did it in the past, why not me? There's a difference between, why not me, and, well, why not me then? See the difference of perspective. Look at the same events, but from a different lens. And so now he's going to look at things differently, and he has a resolve. He makes a resolve in verse 11. He says, I will remember the works of the Lord. That's the marvelous works, the miraculous works. Surely I will remember, and he speaks to God directly, I will remember your wonders of old. And now I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to find hope in reviewing past history. So instead of these past events leading to discouragement, they're going to give him hope, and they're going to give him uh, a resolve, that he, a belief that God will do it again. So here's what he says in verse 12. I will also meditate on some of your work. Isn't that what he says? I'm going to, think, I'm going to go right through the history of Israel. I'm going to just meditate on everything I can think of that you, where you intervened. And not only am I going to meditate on it, look what he says at the end of verse 12, I'm going to talk about it. When people say, well, what do you think the problem is? Asaph, I'm going to say, well, I don't know what my problem is, but I know in the past, God delivered people like me, and guess what he's going to do again? He's going to deliver people like me. And he's going to testify publicly that he's not in the state of despair, he's in the state of faith. See, so he's going to testify to that. And then look at verse 13. Something he realizes. He says, your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Some of your translations say, your way, O God, is the way of holiness. Anybody's translation say holiness? A couple of your translations say that? Because the sanctuary was the holy of holies. It represented holiness. And God is a holy God. And God is different than all the gods of the other nations. And he realizes that God is unique. God has uniquely entered a covenant with his people, and he's going to be true to his word, and he's going to come through. So he realizes that. And then he says this in verse 13. Who is so great a God as our God? And the answer is what? No one. I have nothing to worry about. 
God's the greatest God that's ever existed. I have absolutely nothing to worry about. Look what he says in verse 14, line 1. You are a God who does wonders. That means miracles. Look at this. This is line number 2. You have declared your strength among the peoples. Uh, and God and the peoples there would be the nations. How has God declared his strength to the nations? By intervening on behalf of Israel. And when they saw it, that was God declaring his strength to the nations. How he delivered his people. And then verse 15 says this. You have, with your arm, redeemed your people. So that would be the Jews. So he's, he's declared his strength among the peoples, the nations of the world. And he did it by redeeming his people in verse 15. And the word there would mean he liberated his people. He freed his people. He delivered his people. For example, out of Egypt. And then he says this. Verse 15. You have with your arm redeemed your people. And he identifies his people as the sons of Jacob and Joseph. What in the world does that mean? He's redeemed the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Well, we know that Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. So he's redeemed Israel. But here it says he's also redeemed Joseph. Remember his rotten brothers when they threw him in a pit? Him, did God redeem, deliver Joseph? Yes. Could also be uh, a reference to uh, the northern kingdom. We don't know if that's a case or not. Then you have a timing issue. But uh, Joseph was of the tribe of Ephraim. So uh, it could be talking about that. Uh, it could be that uh, when Israel ended up in the famine, his 11 brothers who sold him to uh, enemies ended up in a famine, they ended up coming to Joseph, and Joseph redeemed them. He delivered them from death. So, we don't know exactly what that means, but it's God's people that he has redeemed. Now, you see the word Selah. You see that after verse 3. That was his anguish. And that is probably a musical notation to the choir master, which would be uh, Jeduthun, to say at this point, maybe have a little musical interlude, so when the congregation hears the music and hears the words of the choir singing, they should think about it. And then again, you have another one at the end of verse 9. Uh, and those, that follows those questions, those three sets of questions. God forgive, is God forsaken us forever? You know, will he never answer another promise? You know, uh, think about that. You need to think about that. Has God changed? Will he cast you off after he's redeemed you? Will he cast you off? Do you think he's going to do that? about that. I can imagine the choir just began to hum. Orchestra played soft music. Well, that's the time to think. And now you have the same thing at the end of verse 15. That uh, God has redeemed his people. And we need to think about how he's redeemed his people. Then he gives us this uh, specifics, I guess we might want to call it. Verses 16 through 18. Here's how he redeemed his people. Here are some of his miraculous works. The water saw you, O God. 
Notice how he personifies things. The water sees. Well, the water doesn't have eyes. But look. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you. They were afraid. Look. The depths, that's down deep in the oceans, also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent off, sent out a sound. Maybe like thunder. The arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and it shook. Now, here he's showing you how when God intervened, everything took notice, everything fled, everything did what God wanted it to do, even in nature. Notice how he personifies. The waters see, the depths tremble. You see all those kinds of things? In the verse 18, the earth trembled. Uh, just like you would shake in your boots, the earth shook in its boots. Personifies. These are words of personification. You see figures of speech, like the words arrows in the verse 17. Your arrows also flashed. It's not arrows. It wasn't arrows that flashed. It was lightning that flashed. So that's a figure of speech. Look at all the past tenses in there. Do you see that? The water saw. The water saw. They were afraid. Look at these ED words. The depths trembled. ED. You see that? Verse 17. The clouds poured. ED. You see that? Look at verse 18. The arrows flashed, E.D., you see that? Verse 18, the earth trembled, E.D., you see that? All these past events. He's recalling all these past events, how God miraculously delivered these people, and they were delivered. So he's just reflecting on all that, and this now gives him a new hope that God's going to answer his prayers. And then verse 19, he says, your path, your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters. Probably referring to the Exodus. He's talking about that great deliverance event when God led the people through a dry ground and the waters saw God and they stood back and the earth trembled and the lightning occurred and all this kind of stuff. He's describing that great act of deliverance which is the Exodus. And he says this, right at the end of verse 19, your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, that's the Exodus. But look at this last, these last words in verse 19. And your footsteps were not known. You think Pharaoh said, hey, God did that. <laughs> no, they didn't do that. Uh, see, in order to see God, you have to have these spiritual eyes. You have to discern that it's an act of God. Otherwise, you can come up with every natural explanation. Well, if the wind blew the Reed Sea and it opened up and all those kinds of crazy things that you've heard about before. You can look at these miraculous acts and you can explain them away and not trace the hand of God in them. But Asaph knows it was God who did it. You can say, oh, my medicine cured me. You can give a purely natural explanation. Or you can trace God's hand in the healing. <coughs> and uh, so, here were people who didn't discern that this was God. This was not his people for the most part, but there were people who said that his footsteps were not known. And then look at verse 20. You, he's going to reemphasize it, you led your people like a flock. It was you that did it. You led your people like a flock. But, watch this, he used means. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. He used human agency. Moses 
Raise up your staff and the waters will open. You know, Aaron, help him. He's getting tired. Help him. Hold up that staff. Okay. Yeah, you can well, Moses did it. You know, Aaron did it. No, God did it. But he used human agency to deliver the people. They were instruments in God's hand. And as a result, it was very easy that God's glory was available. And it was all attributed to Moses, his leadership. So that's where the psalm ends. Notice it ends with no answer. Right? That's one of my grandkids crying over here. He just spanked him a couple of times like I used to spank his dad and everything would be fine. Amen? So, notice the psalm ends without any answer. You see that? But we know there's an answer. And how do we know there's an answer? Because of what? Verse 1, remember? Cried out to God and he answered. He heard me and he answered. So we know there's an answer. And that's how the psalm ends. Now, we've all been through uh, times of anguish. Every one of us, if you haven't, you will be. Times of suffering, dark nights of the soul. Uh, it feels like God has forsaken us. It feels like God has forgotten us. We look back at the past. We know He's done it in the past. And we say, well, why not me? When we should say, He's done it in the past. Well, why not me? See, we need to look at the past and realize if he's done it in the past, he'll do it again. Now that's easier said than done because so often we lose our way. Um, we're not thinking clearly. And uh, when that happens and we lose our way and we don't, we're not thinking clearly, we need to end up following the way of the hound dog when it hunts. When a hound dog loses the scent, it starts hunting backward. It goes back to where it lost the scent until it picks up the scent. <laughs> and then once it picks up the scent, guess what it does? It starts going forward toward its target until it gets its target. And that's what Asaph did. He went back and thought and said, oh, this doesn't work. And, he needs to realize he needs to go back again. And when he goes back to the again, he says, hey, well, why not me? And he goes back in order to get to the future. When the Jews were in despair, they would look to the Exodus. And said, if he's done it once, he can do it again. Now God's people, when we're in despair, we go back and we look at the cross. And when we're suffering, we can go back and we look and we see Jesus suffer. And then we say, well, they killed him. Is there any way out? And then we go back and we look at the resurrection. Jesus took the hit. He allowed them to crucify him. He says he could have called 10,000 angels. didn't call any, anybody. Instead, he stood there and he trusted his father in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the suffering, just believing that God would keep his promise. And guess what? Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And he'll do the same for us. And that's our hope, you see. That's our, that's our comfort. That's our assurance. That's our guarantee that God hasn't forgotten us. God's not against us. He's for us. We just have to trust him. When you can't trace his hand, 
So as Hawkins used to say, you just need to trust his heart. Look back to the cross. Look back to the resurrection. Hey, we had a member of our class die. He's died, and guess what? It's a sad day. Yes? Just like Jesus when he died. And they all cried. His mother was there. She cried. Well, guess what? Three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. And guess what? Those of us who are in Christ will also be raised from the dead. Well, next week, we're in Psalm 78. If you look at the verses there, you notice there's 72 verses. So I'm going to show you how to go through two verses a minute. And we'll be finished that Psalm in 36 minutes. I guarantee it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a comfort. We thank you that when we get our eyes off of you and we think about the past and then we start lamenting, well, why, why not me? We need to, to refocus. We need to go back. We need to start afresh. We need to look at the past events and see how you delivered our forefathers, those of the faith in the past, and then say, well, why not me? Oh, Lord, help us to be those kinds of people of faith. In Christ's name, amen.